You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, Episode 54. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are talking everything sleep. I have Catherine Wright joining me today, and she is a sleep expert. And I thought it was so important to bring her on because we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is an intricate connection between sleep and weight management. And if you are looking to lose weight or even just improve your health in any way, sleep is 100% the foundation behind all of it. And in fact, it's so important that it is one of the five foundational habits inside the Nourish Yourself Body and Mind coaching program that we offer here at Ways of Health. And yet, it is also one of the most difficult habits that my clients struggle with because sleep for us is complicated. And I think when life starts to get busy or hard or the stress levels, you know, sort of start to reach a peak, sleep is the first thing to go. And ironically, if we want to manage our stress, if we want to lose weight, if we want to be happy and healthy and energetic, then sleep is the first thing that we need to prioritize. And so there's just this little bit of a dichotomy there. And so I thought I would bring Catherine on to navigate through some of these issues to talk about exactly why sleep is so important for weight loss and to also discuss some tips and tricks and strategies for improving both the quality and the quantity of your sleep. If you're looking to lose weight, this is such an important skill. And even if you're not looking to to lose weight, it is just something essential for good health, for good mental health and for good energy levels throughout your day. And so I'd like to introduce you to Catherine Wright. Catherine is a lifelong lover of sleep. Starting in early childhood, she discovered that sleep was a stabilizing force in her life, something to protect to keep her grounded and happy. And almost a decade ago, after becoming a mom and bumping up against the realities of sleep deprivation, she evolved her practice as a birth doula and shiatsu therapist into a sleep coaching practice, supporting other new families on this frontier. Her practice has since blossomed again, and she now also works with school-aged kids, teens, and adults. Catherine understands sleep is something we nurture from the moment we wake until the moment we turn out our lights. She has seen that cultivating a great sleep practice is about bringing awareness to the elements of healthy sleep and tending to them as we go about our days. She believes when we heal our sleep, we inevitably heal other areas of our lives too. This has been Catherine's experience as she too has navigated bouts of insomnia and burnout and now taps into the pleasure of sleep and rest as her superpowers while helping others do the same. Catherine's soulful approach to sleep is evidence-based and integrates cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, sleep science, and mindset work. She is a certified sleep coach and educator and founder of Recoup. And so without further ado, here is the interview with Catherine.
Catherine, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Thanks, Michelle. I'm so glad that you asked me. And today we're going to talk all about sleep. And this is such an incredibly important topic, not just for weight loss, but for, you know, health and well-being in general, that I don't know how we're going to cover everything in one episode, but we are going to try. Um, But Catherine, I actually first met you taking one of your courses on sleep, which actually dramatically changed my relationship with my own sleep, which is why I was so excited to invite you on the podcast today. And so maybe to get us started, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're so passionate about sleep? Sure. Yeah. So I, before I actually got um, interested in adult sleep coaching and working with adults around sleep, I began working with families. So actually I've been practicing as a, as a family sleep coach with parents with little ones for over a decade now Um, that began uh, I would say shortly after I became a mom myself and I got really interested in sleep. And I think partially because I've always really loved my own sleep. I've, I've always coveted sleep. Sleep's been a very precious thing for me my whole life. And so when I became a mom, I, I, I was a little bit fearful about losing control about, of my own sleep. And I started learning a lot about infant sleep, toddler sleep, mental health, attachment. And then before I knew it, I had a business and I was coaching other parents and working with other parents. And somewhere along the way, having nothing to do with my own little person, I actually started experiencing my first bouts with real insomnia and having a lot of difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep, a lot of anxiety about not getting enough sleep. And so that sort of began my own journey at looking into my own sleep. And I was, um, you know, I was, it was in that phase where I hear a lot of my clients where I was just feeling, I was totally depleted. I was totally exhausted, but I was totally unsettled. Like I was anxious all the time. I was wired, but tired. And I was in that state sort of 24 seven, having a lot of, a lot of hard time calming myself down at night and staying asleep. Um, and started medicating a little bit with alcohol and dropped a lot of my tools that I was using sort of pre-mom, yoga, meditation, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so for me in healing my own sleep, it was really coming back to the drawing board as a mom, reevaluating what are my priorities? What do I need to really take care of myself and making some big shifts in my life um, to start to really care for um, myself, um, properly during the day so that my body could do what it needed at night, let go. And, and so, um, I got really passionate about sleep. It really did change my, not only my relationship with sleep changed, but the way that I was taking care of myself in general and my relationship with myself changed. And so, um, I, I, that, that sort of began my journey working with other adults, a lot of women, who are sort of in midlife looking to, to have a better relationship with their own sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I find fascinating is that I think as a culture, we are on the whole sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. I read a study um, that, and that this was a study on children, but I'm certain this applies to adults as well, that over the past 20 years, the average number of hours of sleep that we get overnight 
um, in particular has um, decreased rather dramatically. And yet sleep is absolutely fundamental to every part of our body and our health and our mental health as well. And so I think what you're doing is so important. And one of the challenges I know I face as a coach, because in my weight loss programming, we focus on five fundamental habits and one of them is sleep. And it is ironically the hardest one for most of my clients. And they will give me so many excuses of, you know, I don't have time. Um, There's too many things going on in my evenings. I can't, I can't wind down earlier. You know, before bed is the only time I have to look at social media and I don't want to give that up. And, you know, so many things and people just seem to prioritize sleep last. And I know for me, I mean, as an emergency physician as well, doing shift work, sleep has been a perpetual problem for me. And I know that when I don't get regular sleep, I'm miserable and I'm functioning way below um, my optimum for sure. And in fact, after taking your course and realizing just how much the shift work was affecting me, I made changes to how I schedule myself at work. (laughs) So I don't actually do night shifts anymore. I do way more 6am shifts with people, which people hate as much as the midnight shifts, but it has completely changed my health. Um, just, just making that, um, that shift. And so trying to impress upon people, just how much improving sleep can change your life, um, has really been a challenge for me, but at least using my own personal example, I'm able to at least get people to hear, um, this idea of, of putting some effort into improving their sleep. Absolutely. And I think you just nailed it there. I think sleep, prioritizing sleep is a big, is, is difficult to do in, in our culture, right? It's difficult to do in our sort of busy hyperproductivity culture, really carving out that opportunity for seven to eight hours of sleep at night. And then there's a lot of people who understand the value of sleep, who really want to sleep, but are having difficulty sleeping. Mm-hmm. So you saw, sometimes I think there's almost, there's two groups of people, the people who sort of don't really care about sleep. It's not a priority. I got better things to do who just aren't getting enough sleep. And then there are the people who are, you know, more in that insomnia group where they're, they, they understand, they understand the value of sleep. They want to sleep, desperately want to sleep, but they're not able to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if we bring this back to weight loss, I think weight loss and sleep are connected in a very intimate way. And it's a little bit of a cyclical thing too, because inadequate sleep has been shown to affect weight management in many different ways, but also carrying extra weight affects sleep as well. And you kind of get into this cycle. So I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about, you know, this bi-directional relationship between sleep and weight. Any thoughts there? Yeah, it is like most things with with sleep are bi-directional, um, but you really see it with um, with weight loss. Um, yeah, let me just I'll touch upon a couple of different things to kind of sort of help um, your listeners really see that cycle and how it works. Um, I mean, the one thing that we know for a fact is that short sleepers tend to gain weight more easily. Mm-hmm. Full stop. We know that. And there's been a lot of study and a lot of really interesting research around this. 
Um, there's a few different things that are going on for short sleepers. And when I say short sleepers, I'm really referring to people who are getting less than six hours a night. So most people, the vast majority of people require between seven to nine hours of sleep mm -hmm. for their bodies to do what they need to do. Right. Um, so, so people who are, are sort of chronically getting less than six hours of sleep are, you know, considered underslept or short sleepers. So a couple of things happen for short sleepers. Um, the, there's two main hormones, and I'm sure you talk about this, Michelle, there's sort of two more main hormones that control weight. And so poor sleep decreases one of those hormones, the one that signals being full or being mm -hmm. satisfied or satiated, and it increases levels of the hormone that actually triggers hunger. Mm -hmm. So when we don't get enough sleep, we're more hungry and we'll tend to actually eat more because we don't have those feelings of being like, ah, I feel great. I feel full and satisfied. Right. So, and so I'm, and I'm sure you talk about that. So in the studies that have been done, they've done like, they've taken a group of, of people um, and given them four to five hours of sleep a night for a period of time. And they've taken another group of people and they've given them eight hours of sleep for a period of time. And they've controlled for, for most things. Um, and on average, the folks that were getting less than six hours consumed about 300 calories more per day, which is significant. That's right? crazy. Yeah. 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 So, and then you alluded to this, Michelle, this is the cycle part too, is um, when, when, when we don't feel rejuvenated, when we don't feel well slept and well rested and our bodies aren't properly restored, we just intuitively move a lot less, right? Mm -hmm. You just don't have the energy. You don't feel like going for a walk. You don't feel like everything feels effortful, right? And so we tend to have a lower caloric expenditure, right? right. Yeah. Which then also fuels that. So um, the other, I'll just mention one other really, really interesting thing is that short sleepers actually crave different food. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Did you, have you... I have read that Not and I also read that. experienced it in my own life. I'm sleep deprived. I want sugar and fat yeah. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Mostly in the form of chocolate for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It right. is incredible. And I think reading this stuff is one thing, but being able to actually use yourself as an experiment and see it because I do, I know on the nights where I am I've had a rough night and I wake up and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to be dragging today. I watch myself and I do not crave the brown rice Buddha bowl. I do not crave the, you know, whatever it might be. I am craving sugar. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. craving things with glucose and I'm craving the car, all the carbs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. the studies do show that those extra 300 calories that people tend to consume are um, the carbs and usually, you know, mm. processed unhealthy carbs, not the Buddha bowl, right? Like you said, <laughs> brown rice. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the studies also are, are really interesting around looking at the part of the brain that gets impaired when we don't get enough sleep. The part of the brain that is, um, in charge of our decision-making. So, mm. um, where we kind of, you know, 
say, okay, today I'm going to focus on, I'm going to have a walk and maybe do some stretching or exercise and limit my screen time, whatever it may be. Um, that part of the brain is sort of impaired and the impulse mm -hmm. part of the brain, that reptilian part of the brain yes. is dialed right up. Yeah. Right. Cause I also, it's so true. Cause I, again, using myself in, as an example, when I'm sleep deprived, it's the chocolate cravings and online shopping. And it's right. <laughs> it, that's, that's what it is for me. And Isn't it amazing? It's just gone when I'm sleep deprived. Yeah. And we, and we, and we intuitively want to self-soothe, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right? Which makes sense. We are, we're essentially, you know, when we're not well slept, we, we, our bodies are in a little bit of a survival mode. Um, we're not functioning with a full tank. And so we want to suit, we want to, we want to help ourselves regulate calm and soothe. And so we tend towards some of these things that are necessarily good for us, but in the moment make us feel better. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so you can see, um, you know, when we're well rested, we maybe make healthier choices, move our bodies more, which of course helps us sleep better at night. Yeah. And then we wake up and we've got a little bit more energy. We're more inclined to go for that walk or choose something healthy for lunch. And all of a sudden the cycle, you know, we've got some momentum. We're moving in the right direction. And those things are all working together to help us, you know, be more optimized at, at losing excess weight and, and sleeping better and around and around it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so why exactly is sleep so important? Like what happens in our brains and in our bodies during those eight hours of sleep? Like wh why um, is being a short sleeper de detrimental? What, what are we missing out on? Um, well, I think again, coming back to that, the hormone regulation piece, like as soon as, you know, we are, um, we're not sleeping as much as our bodies would like us to, um, it's quite easy for our, our hormones to get dysregulated. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we see disrupted patterns in cortisol, okay. um, which is, you know, the stress hormone. So people who are not sleeping very well tend to have more elevated levels of cortisol, um, they may therefore not be making as much melatonin, which is the Dracula hormone, which helps mm -hmm. us relax and in, into sleep and sleep. And so we can be kind of functioning on this sort of, you know, that, that tired wired, um, uh, in that tired wired state. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, essentially when we are sleeping, our whole bodies and minds are under complete repair. So, you know, we are, um, repairing on a cellular level, our growth hormones, um, our brains undergo like a, almost like a, like a brainwash where we, all the harmful buildup of proteins and amyloids that are, you know, not good, not good for, um, cognition and, and co cognitive health. Mm -hmm. All of those undergo like a nice cleaning, um, our, all, our whole system is really optimized so that when we wake up in the morning, our bodies are able to carry out those, those functions, you know, whether it's digestion, metabolizing, all of those things, our body's set up to do really well when we're well rested. And, and when our body doesn't undergo that regenerative, regenerative um, process at night, we're not optimized to do those things. Well, you know, our metabolism might be sluggish. 
all of those hormones that are going to help us, you know, um, with regulating um, and blood sugar is another huge one, right? We know mm -hmm. that that the link between um, insomnia and obesity is massive. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it in kids too now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Fortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I think the other, I, I mean, I, I don't know, we can get into this if you want to, but I think the other, the other piece um, that's really interesting is how being overweight impacts our sleep. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, yeah. And I think it's important to talk about um, that piece of it as well, because when we are living in bigger bodies and have sleep challenges because of our weight, mm -hmm. I think that's something that we have to look at um, and troubleshoot as well. And I think, you know, sometimes when people are struggling with with sleep it's not necessarily their fault that's you know some of this is a function of sleep apnea and other things you know re related to heavier weight and so i think it's useful for people to have an understanding of how weight affects sleep as well so yeah let's let's hear it yeah absolutely and uh there's some of this we don't totally know but what we do see is that people who are living in bigger bodies overall just tend to report higher levels of poor sleep. Mm -hmm. And some of this we understand, and some of this, I think there's still a lot more research to be done, but there seems to be a link between, and I don't know exactly how much weight, but be, if we talk, we'll just talk generally about overweightness and the body's ability to recover that deep restorative sleep at night. So the adult, you know, the adult sleep cycles comprised of, you know, that REM dream sleep, and then mm -hmm. a big chunk of sort of deep, deeper, more restorative sleep where a lot of the body rep repair happens. A lot of the brain repair happens in the REM sleep around memory and all of that and emotions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the body bodily repair happens in that deep sleep chunk. And it seems as if people who are, who tend to be more overweight, aren't getting or spending as much time in that deep restorative sleep. We're not entirely sure exactly why that is, but definitely you touched upon it. Um, you know, the risk and severity of sleep apnea goes way up for, for folks who are overweight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wouldn't be yes. surprised if there was a hormonal com component to that as well, because I haven't done a lot of reading beyond sleep apnea in terms of weight and sleep, but I do know that our adipose tissue, which is our fat tissue in the body is a metabolically active organ. It creates hormones, it secretes hormones, it creates estrogen, it creates leptin, mm -hmm. like there's lots of, it, it's a very hormonally active um, organ. And I wouldn't be surprised if it interferes with, you know, hormone systems that are involved in sleep, just like it's involved in, um, in altering our leptin, our hunger hormone um, levels as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that plays a part in it. I wouldn't either. That's actually really fascinating. And I hadn't ever heard of that hormone directly, but that makes absolute sense that that would be involved in the process as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk, talk a little bit about sleep apnea? Do you, have you done any um, podcasts around sleep apnea? 
I haven't I haven't spoken to sleep apnea directly yet, um, but I think it would be um, definitely something that I will talk about in the future. I don't I don't talk a lot about um, the medical aspects because I like to keep, you know, my physician hat off when I'm coaching. But I think it's probably a big enough issue in the lives of enough of my clients that it's worth um, it's worth talking about. Yeah, I think so. Um, also, and I just wanted to say, you know, I think what's so interesting to me about, and we don't have to dive into to everything around obstructive sleep apnea, but what I find the most interesting, just because I have a lot of people who are coming to me actually as a sleep coach. And I always ask, I always ask people, what's your, what's, what's the motivation? What's the thing? What's your pain point? Why are you, why are you now motivated? Mm -hmm. And people have all kinds of different reasons, but one of them is weight loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, One of them, one of them is I want to lose weight and I know how important it is to be sleeping well for my body to be able to do that. Well, you know, we, we know that also, um, our bodies burn fat more efficiently when we're well slept and mm-hmm. make muscle more efficiently when mm-hmm. we're well slept. And often what I hear from people too is um, I'm on the weight loss. I'm on the journey and I'm losing weight. I did have obstructive sleep apnea, but I've lost enough weight now that my sleep apnea is actually resolved. Mm-hmm. And now I'm working on, you know, other aspects of my sleep because the, you know, this part fe- still feels wobbly and I want some help yeah. here or there. But to me, what's so um, encouraging is that a lot of sleep apnea cases actually just disappear when people shed some, some pounds. A hundred percent. Yes. And the studies show that it's often only five to 10% of weight loss that is required to um, reverse sleep apnea. So it definitely isn't a death sentence. If you no. have sleep apnea, weight loss actually can um, help with this. Just so that people don't get the idea that if you're overweight, your sleep is doomed. Why, why don't we talk about some strategies um, that people can use to help themselves get better sleep? And where I'd like to start actually is many of my clients say that they fall into bed dead tired at night, no problem falling asleep, but they wake up at 3 a.m. with the wheels turning and can't get back to sleep. That seems to be um, the biggest problem um, in my clients anyway. So do you have strategies for for managing that, those 3 a.m. wake ups when you just can't get back to sleep? It's it is interesting. Interesting how that becomes. Sometimes we think of people who have trouble with insomnia or people who are having trouble falling, that it's the people who are having trouble falling asleep. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. And I do find, especially um, in this sort of midlife and beyond group, that this is where it's the sleep maintenance or the staying asleep piece that becomes more of a struggle. And some of that has to do with just the way that our sleep evolves as we age, um, our sleep architecture changes, which means, you know, what I mean by that is our sleep, the, the amount of time that we spend in, in REM sleep and deep sleep changes, and that can impact how we sleep through the night, um, as can hormone changes that happen 
for yeah. a lot of females, right? Mm -hmm. We start to see those progesterone and estrogen levels doing some funky stuff. Um, and, and that can, that those two hormones are directly linked into our sleep processes and our sleep cycles. So that's sometimes why those things start to show up, but absolutely. It's also, you know, there's also the, the mental component, right. And the, and the mind that gets racing. So in terms of giving people some ideas around it, I kind of look at two things. So we first just want to make sure when we're looking at sleep maintenance, so our ability to drop into sleep and then stay there for the duration of the night. I mean, within reason, like most adults do wake up, I think on average around 12 times at night, we just, you know, sound sleepers won't be aware of those wake-ups, but we'll wake up, we'll roll around and we'll fall back asleep. So that's totally normal. Um, in fact, being awake on average, including falling asleep at bedtime until the morning time, the average person is awake for about 30 minutes every night. And that's all considered totally normal. Um, we're talking more about like when you wake up and you're like wide awake, right? Awake. And then yeah. the mind starts going. Exactly. So we want to, yeah. So we want to definitely look at, um, do we have a really nice, strong sleep drive? And that drive is, I always liken it to a balloon that fills up with air. That drive builds from the moment that we wake up in the morning and we open our eyes and our feet touch the floor, our sleep drive starts to increase, 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 increase like air filling up a balloon until the moment that we close our eyes and drop into sleep. And then whoosh, that air, that pressure, that sleep pressure starts to decrease. And that pushes us down into sleep and will help hopefully keep us there for the duration of the night. So a lot of people who are experiencing those 3 a.m. wake-ups, those 4 a.m. wake-ups, sometimes it has to do with a weak sleep drive or a squishy balloon. So how can we help ourselves get a really nice, strong sleep drive? Going to bed around the same time and waking up around the same time is probably one of the best things that we can do to create a nice, strong sleep drive and to help ourselves maintain sleep throughout the night. I think one of the biggest misunderstandings around sleep is this idea of I'm not sleeping well. I'm waking up a lot at night. You know, my sleep's crap. So I'm going to just try to sleep harder. I'm going to, I mean, it's like, they call it casting a wide net. I'm going right. to go to bed really early. I'm going to try to sleep in. I'm going to take naps. I'm going to just get as much sleep as I can. And it sounds like, yeah, that makes sense intuitively, but actually our sleep really doesn't like when we do that. And sometimes trying to catch more sleep is actually what creates the squishy balloon. So for people who are doing that, one of the best things that you can do is actually create, you know, eight hours of sleep opportunity at night and try to keep a steady bedtime and wake time, regardless of what kind of sleep you had the night before. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. That, that idea of just not spending too, too much time in bed. And then we create a really nice, strong association with bed and sleep. So really like getting into bed when we're actually sleepy, not just fatigued or tired from the day, which feels different than, oh my gosh, my eyes are actually closing, right? Like that's when you want to get into bed. If you're someone who struggles with certainly with falling asleep, but 
those are the things that can help. Things like alcohol, caffeine, and definitely inactivity will also create a squishy balloon and can help can get in the way of people's ability to stay asleep at night. In terms of working with the thoughts, a lot of people who are waking up at 3 a.m., they kind of have, they, they sort of almost develop a little routine where it's like they wake up, oh crap, they look at their phone, their <laughs> phone tells them it's 3 a.m., yep. <laughs> then they go, oh crap, here I go again, I'm doing it again, right? And it's like it almost, it, it cements that pattern. So getting getting away from looking at your device or your phone and cultivating a different response to yourself when you wake up can be a really helpful. I had to do this and it, it, it does take time, but I was definitely someone who would wake up at night and begin catastrophizing immediately. Right. I'm going to feel like crap tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, here I go again. How many hours am I going to be awake? And the panic would set in. Yes. And you can feel your heart start yes. to go. go, 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 go. <laughs> I know, you know it feeling well. Yeah. <laughs> this this happens to me when yeah. I have to be up at 4:30 in the morning for a 6 a.m. shift. And um I am a very deep sleeper and I worry I won't hear my alarm if I have to yeah. wake up the alarm. I mean, like my husband, I'll have a nap sometimes, not often, but every once in a while I'll have a nap. And he will vacuum beside my head and I won't even notice. Um, He's a firefighter and he's on call from home sometimes. I don't hear his pager. He gets up and leaves bed and comes back in and I don't even notice. And so I get worried when I have to wake up to an alarm that I'm not going to hear it. And I find myself waking up every hour, looking at my phone, having that conversation, calculating how many hours of sleep (laughs) I'll have if I fall asleep sleep right now. And then that pressure to sleep means I don't, I don't sleep at all. And I toss and turn all night. So that catastrophizing is. And it does. Yes. You just explained that so perfectly. What it's a cascade of things that happen starts in our, in our head where we go, Oh crap. And then we start counting and then we start freaking out. And then our body has a response, which is that sort of fight or flight. So we start to get produce a little bit of adrenaline. And what that happens once that cortisol adrenaline starts to 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 kick in, our melatonin, our sleepy hormone goes, boom, right? Right. It's like an inverse inverse relationship between the two. So now our bodies are awake as well. And our mind has shifted to like awake in daytime. So intercepting that gently and saying, having some things that we can almost rewire, reprogram how we respond to those wake ups. Um, You know, I, I like, I like the one where you just gently say to yourself rather than looking, looking at checking the time, because checking the time kind of communicates to our bodies that there's actually something that we need to control. Mm -hmm. It's nighttime. Our bodies are ideally in full surrender mode, right? And so there's nothing to control. Um, And so by not looking at our clocks, we kind of stay in this space of nighttime and surrender. And okay, I'm awake right now. That's okay. I can, I can be, I can be awake and in my bed and just enjoy the sensation of being at peace. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy the sensation of my cozy bed sheets and the dark, and I can just relax and know that that's also restorative for my body. 
Mm-hmm. My body knows what to do. My body, my body's taking care of me and I'll drift off when I'm ready. That sounds easier said than done, but when we start to rewire a little bit by kind of replacing those catastrophic thoughts with slightly more forgiving thoughts, it can actually really change change our sleep because our body then stays in this surrendered, receptive, relaxed state so mm-hmm. that sleep can wash over us and bring up and we can we can then we're more easy, you know, easily able to fall back asleep. Right. And I um, I find that one thought actually really helps me. That thought of just lying here and resting in bed is restorative. Like that somehow, you know, settles me down enough that I'll usually fall back asleep again. So that's one thought that's actually been very helpful for me when I find myself um, in that situation, which has been less and less um, as time goes on. Um, so I've also been doing what you've suggested is, um, even though I'm a shift worker, I mean, it's hard to have the same bedtime and the same wake up time yeah. um, every day, but I actually try to do that on the days when I'm not working. And I, you know, if I get home at 3 a.m. from <laughs> a shift and I go to bed, I actually make myself wake up a little bit earlier. And then I go to bed again at my, at my normal time. And that seems to get me back on track faster than, you know, allowing myself to sleep all day. Um, or that's incredible. That's super, super early. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really interesting feedback. And I mean, that's often the advice that for some shift work, depending on the hours that that wouldn't work because the person then would just become completely depleted, but that's a really great strategy to use. If you have an occasional shift here and there to keep yourself from sliding over here and sliding over there, where then we've got that squishy balloon problem, right? Right. And our circadian rhythm is, is a little bit wobbly because our, our, our wake time and sleep times are so fluid. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. And the other, I would just add to that is, um, to help people when we're trying to reframe and take sort of take a little bit of the pressure perfectionism out of our sleep, which usually helps people, um, drop back into sleep at night. The other one I remember too, I like to remind people is that our bodies naturally do a little bit of recalibrating. So if we have a crack night or we are do, you know, have a shift work night where we don't get our ideal seven or eight hours of sleep that, you know, our body can't, our body can't, you know, make up for that lost sleep in the next night. But what it can do is it will, drop into that deep sleep part of the sleep cycle a little bit more quickly and stay there a little bit longer if you've had less sleep the night before. Mm -hmm. So it's like the body almost goes, okay, we need to sleep. We're going to get really efficient at this tonight to kind of make up for last night Mm -hmm. and get into that deep restorative sleep more quickly. Maybe skip over stage one, stage two of light sleep, get right in there and get busy helping this person restore and recover. So our bodies are kind of, they're on our side, like they're working right. with us. So we just, a lot of this is just trusting. It is. And getting your own brain out of the way. Right. And another thing that you taught me also that has been really helpful is to get out of bed. And so I, you know, I find if I'm waking up and looking at um, the alarm and can't get back to sleep, I'll get out of bed and go sit on the couch and read. 
And I swear that 10 minutes with my novel and my eyes start drooping and I can go back to bed and fall asleep. And that seems to work like a charm for me um, sometimes as well. And there are times when I'm super stressed, like if I'm anxious about something that's happening the next day that I will have troubles falling asleep. And that works for me too. So I find if, if I just go somewhere else and read, like just in a, like a quiet nicely like dimly sort of soft lit room and read for just a few minutes my eyes will start to droop and then that's Mm. when I go to bed and then I'm able to fall asleep but if I try and you know force myself to go to bed and and go to sleep it just it just doesn't happen so yeah yes that's so that's the paradox right as soon as we we try for it the further away it slides from us and so I that's exactly right I I and, and I I try to encourage my clients to do the same thing. If they have kind of a a wake up habit, it's really hard for some people to do that. And some people will say to me, I'll do anything you tell me, but I'm not going to get out of bed. And so we find other strategies, but it is, it is, it is a really great strategy because what you're doing essentially when you're doing that is you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm, my body doesn't feel sleepy right now. So I'm going to go do something else where I'm not focused on sleeping, but I'm more just focused on staying relaxed. Mm -hmm. And so we take the trying out of it and we just focus on, you know, something relaxing, like reading a good book. And naturally those sleepy feelings will come back. Exactly. Right. And so that's a really, really nice way to work with ourselves. If we are going through a period of, you know, increased stress or anxiety where, you know, sometimes it's, we're just going to go through those patches where we're not able to sleep through the night, but this is a really beautiful way to sort of tend to our sleep and ourselves. If we are having, having one, uh, uh, you know, a rough patch can often help us get back to sleep more easily. Yeah. Yeah. And then all those amazing apps, like some people love these sleep meditations, like on you know, on calm or insight yeah. timer, all oh, the apps, like yes, they are I know. awesome. I'm telling you, listening to Matthew McConaughey read <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Right. And, yeah. and I love how they make these things. They're like just interesting enough that you want to keep listening, but not so interesting that you would actually not fall asleep if you were legitimately yes. tired. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of a lot of these. And some people don't want to get on their phones at night and they just want a book, which is great. That works mm-hmm. for a lot of people. But for some people who who want to just lay there in the dark and have more of an auditory relaxation, a guided meditation or a story or something like that, yeah. um, there's lots of really great stuff out there now. Yeah, yeah. Or ambient I- music or with some with some gentle breathing exercises that it's just enough to kind of take us out of the spiraling thoughts out of the worries and pulling us back into our bodies and our breaths so that we can just you know mm-hmm. break that that worry cycle for a minute yeah exactly because you certainly cannot bully yourself into sleep like mm-hmm. I, I know this from personal experience, you cannot bully yourself into sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think what what the reading and what all those lovely apps do is just kind of shift you out of that sympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system into the para, you know parasympathetic nervous system dominance, where you're actually able to you know calm calm yourself down and and find sleep. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I think even you know Michelle. For, for folks who are really prioritizing sleep or who are really 
wanting to prioritize sleep or who are struggling with these wake-ups. Also doing some, having a, a, a mini practice, even five or 10 minutes during the day where they start to work that muscle a little bit, that, that, med, that mindfulness muscle, whether right. it's like five, yeah. this can really help at night. So some of these tools are just as useful actually during the day, keeping a worry journal or, you know, setting aside 15 to 20 minutes to jot down all our worries and kind of look at them and spend some time with them so that, you know, we don't have to do that at night or we feel less inclined to do that at night yeah. or, you know, spend a little bit of time connecting with our breath and, and, and parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system during the day mm-hmm. and really support how we do that at night. Oh, for sure. And all of my clients learn mindfulness as, as you know, part of their work with me, because it's also super important in understanding your relationship with food, right. Is, is to be able to, um, you know, bring yourself down back into your body and really understand what's happening when you're um, tempted to eat mindlessly, or when you experience a craving or, you know, um, want food when you're not really hungry, the key to understanding all of that is, is to do that exact thing, shift back into the parasympathetic, um, dominance and just reconnect with your body again. So those are skills that my clients learn anyway, that can also be applied to sleep. Uh, absolutely. And I love how you just, because what they're re- what we're really doing with sleep or eating or any of this, like what you're describing that you do with your clients, right? Is just it's about giving pause in any moment and just asking what's you know what's really going on here, like what is what's actually going on here? How am I feeling in my body and kind of reconnecting back into the body? And even you know I I find you know some of my clients, they haven't had a lot of experience, even sort of, uh, gauging for themselves. What do I feel like when I'm dysregulated? What does that feel like in my body? What are the signs that I I am dysregulated? And then what are some of the tools that I can use to come to help myself calm back down and come back into a more grounded state? And I'm sure that, yeah, I could see that that's absolutely essential when you're looking at your relationship with eating and food and you know all of this stuff all of these things that we um, right. intersect with our daily habits and choices and yeah right all right and so if you take the example of you know someone who recognizes that they need to get more sleep or improve the quality of their sleep but have all of these objections right like i'm full throttle till 10 p.m. i don't have time there's you know too much going on like where can people start? Because it's, it's unrealistic, Mm -hmm. you know, to ask them to just, well, you know, find two extra hours. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and I like how you mentioned earlier that, um, that sleep drive starts, you know, the moment we wake up in the morning. And so I guess I'm wondering also is if there's things that we can do for ourselves during the day that will make it easier for us to wind down um, in the evening time, or, or if there's, you know, small steps people can take to start moving towards getting more sleep. I mean, I would say it's sort of at the very minimum for someone who's, you know, busy, 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 go, go, go full throttle person. We, we always kind of start with the sleep opportunity. So can I at the very least carve out seven to eight hours where 
this is time that I am committed to giving my body and myself to be, you know, in rest asleep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people that may be easier or harder to do depending on their schedules, but sort of prioritizing at very minimum that, that time that we need. Yeah. There's a lot of people who can't manage, you know, an hour wind down routine before bed. It's impossible because of their work schedules or their families or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we do kind of want to start with, okay, can I at least kind of, you know, um, work with myself in getting up around the same time in the morning, getting a hit of sunlight first thing in the morning, sort of bookending the day with even 10 to 15 minutes of daylight. Um, much easier to do this time of year in, in North America. So that really helps strengthen the circadian rhythm, the internal body clock that will also um, is, you know, is in charge of helping us fall asleep and stay asleep. Right. So I have, you know, people who are radiologists who work in dark offices all day, that kind of thing, really important for people to like get a good hit of sunlight in the morning and ideally a little hit of, of sunlight, you know, in the later afternoon, four or five, six o'clock PM helps a person keep a nice, strong, healthy clock. And then you know, we have, a, it's, we have like an ultradian rhythm. So like a 90 minute rhythm during the day too, where our body kind of moves through high efficiency and then decreases into lack of focus. And then we need mm -hmm. a break. Yeah. Being mindful of that during the day can really help set us up at night. So maybe we don't need an hour long wind down routine at, at bedtime because we've taken these tiny little breaks. I call them snack break. Like they're like rest snacks during the day. Right. where we give ourselves even five or 10 minutes, stand up from the desk, do some stretching, eat something healthy, hydrate, all of those kinds of things. Keep us regulated during the day so that if we want to, okay, it's 10 o'clock, I need to go to bed. We don't have to come down from way up here because we've been sort of keeping ourselves more regulated during the day by taking breaks and moving our bodies and having healthy snacks and all of that kind of thing. Does that yeah. make sense? It, it makes total sense. And I think I've been intuitively doing that lately. Um, so it's not so easy when I'm on shift in the ER, but when I'm at home working on my business and have like an eight hour day in front of the computer, if I'm writing and, you know, doing things like this, I actually notice that it seems to be like maybe more 70 or 75 minutes for mm -hmm. me. I start to get very distracted and, and I can't focus anymore. And so I've just decided that when I get that way, I'm going to get up. It's springtime now. So I go and I like examine what's blooming in my garden. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just take this quick little walk, um, refill my water glass, and then I come back. And that's all it takes. It's literally five minutes. And I come back, like I'm, I'm much more focused when I come back to my computer. But I also notice, I do notice that when I honor that, I sleep better. And I shouldn't say I noticed my husband noticed it first. And then I started paying attention and, mm. and you know, realized that that, that is actually true. It's simple stuff. Sometimes yeah. it's simple stuff and simple doesn't mean easy. Yeah. Because what you're talking about requires noticing and paying a heck of a lot of attention to what's happening. And that's, that's, that's the work I think for a lot of people is just to even yeah. notice, oh yeah, I'm totally trailing off. My body needs, I need to move. I need to like get my circulation moving. I need to have a glass of water. 
Mm -hmm. um, I need to let my mind just unspiral for a couple of minutes and then, you know, I can get back to right? it. And to just give yourself permission to do that. Like, yeah. I think that's the biggest piece because I know that I will start telling myself, I just have to push through. I've got lots to do. You know, I don't have time to take a five minute break. Um, but the reality of the situation is when I do take those five minute breaks, I'm actually more productive um, you know, during, during the rest of my work week. And I, I have a client that brings this up to me all the time. And I ask her, it's like, how much of the day do you spend like Googling various things or staring off into space? And she's like a good portion of the day. And I'm like, so you're wasting time anyways. So you why might not do well. it while you're recharging? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> And, and actually yeah. rewriting that, that, that recharging is not wasting time. And I think that is the piece yeah. where we're really messed up in, in our culture or that our culture has backwards is that this idea of going out into the garden, getting a glass of water, stretching, staring in the clouds for a couple of minutes, that that is a waste of time, that that isn't important, that that isn't valuable. And so anytime that we do that, we have this sense of, oh no, I'm doing something wrong. Oh no, I'm lazy. Oh no, I'm not productive enough. And so those are the voices that we're trying to kind of, you know, shift, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that, I mean, think that is the very problem right there, I think. Yeah. yeah. And also that, you, you know, you mentioned earlier that being sedentary has a negative effect on your sleep later on at night and actually getting some movement or exercise in, during the day can help. And so, you know, even just a little bit of movement on breaks here and then can help in that additional way as well. Helps that build that sleep drive. That's right. So that then our bodies feel, or when, when we hit the sheets at night and, you know, our bodies read as, you know, physically a good level of wear and tear, then our, then our sleep system's like, okay, we got work to do. Let's get to sleep and, and start to re, you know, regenerate and repair. And so if we're not moving our bodies during the day, that, that, there isn't that incentive and that drive for, for our sleep to kind of recharge us. But, right. Yeah. 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 That's right. And one of the key takeaways that I've gotten from this conversation, Catherine, is that there's, you know, sleep is so much more than what happens when our head finally hits the pillow at night, that there's all these things that are happening from the moment we wake up that are contributing to this. And so, you know, if you're feeling that, you know, going to bed a little bit earlier is overwhelming, maybe focusing instead on, you know, adding these other little things um, throughout the day might, you know, might make it just a little bit easier for you to, um, to, to at least fall asleep at night, and then maybe even have an earlier bedtime as your body tells you that you're more tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then you're able to notice the cues from your body that you're more tired. Mm -hmm. And having some boundaries around, okay, if you are a go-go person, certainly, okay, I'm making a deal with myself. You know, there's a, there is a cutoff point at some time in my evening where I'm committed to closing my laptop and turning off my phone. You choose that time, but having a bit of a boundary around so that it doesn't seep into the whole night, right? And I hear a lot of people saying that, especially folks who are in school or, you know, studying for your PhD or whatever, that they really need those boundaries. Otherwise they can just like, just keep working right into, yeah. you know, the wee hours of the morning yeah. and that having some firm boundaries around some of those things is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Catherine, this was such an illuminating conversation. Thank you so much. 
before we sign off today, are there any last words of wisdom you'd like mm. to impart to our listeners? Mm, last words of wisdom. I guess I would just say, you know, sleep, I, like sleep, sleep is like a puzzle. You know, we can be, there's, there's lots of little pieces of sleep that we can work on. It doesn't always have to be this huge overhaul. We can make a lot of progress with our sleep by just sort of paying attention and tweaking a couple of things here and there. And that even by, you know, improving our sleep quality a little bit or getting even one hour more of sleep per night will have a massive impact on your overall mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. So this isn't about like tearing it all down and doing this huge onerous thing. We can work at our sleep in really small ways and still have a massive impact on how we're feeling and living during the day. So just to give people that motivation that this doesn't have to be, you know, a huge terrifying thing. If you're not sleeping that well, it's okay. You're probably in really good, you are in really good company and there's lots that you can do. So amazing. I cannot wait to have you come to your workshop. It's going to be amazing. I know it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Catherine. Okay. Thanks so much, Michelle. All right, Catherine, thank you so much for all of that amazing information. You know, sleep is just so important. And every time we talk about it, I'm always just shocked at how sleep affects literally every single aspect of our lives, of our health, of our physiological symptoms, of our emotional lives, our relationships, how we perform at work, our weight, our health, all of the things. It's just so important. So thanks again, Catherine, for joining us. And if you're interested in learning more about sleep or working with Catherine on your sleep, you can find her at www.recoup.care. And if you'd like to experience more time with Catherine, she will be inside the Nourish Yourself Body and Mind program to give us a workshop. And so just head on over to www.waysahealth.com and you'll be able to sign up for our program and do the workshop with Catherine as well. That's all for this week and we'll see you next week.